The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal. From the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Pastor John Kane. With us today on the program, we have uh, Dr. Jillian Bond. She is the Director of Deaconess Studies at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Welcome to the program, Jillian. Thank you for, for having me on this afternoon. Well, this is an exciting topic because I know that uh, you want to talk about uh, specifically coping with shame. Wow, that's a big, big topic. And I think it's probably a, a hidden topic for, for many people. Uh, why, why is shame an important issue? It, I think that shame is important partly because it affects a lot of people, partly because it can have really serious effects. And partly because it is, as you just indicated, all too often a hidden problem. I think a lot of times people in general, um, and particularly I would include people in the church, don't realize what it is and how big of an issue it is and how common it is. So what kind of problems can it cause? And maybe you should maybe identify or define uh, what you mean by shame. So what I'm talking about here, shame manifests itself in various ways. But what I'm talking about, what I'm going to be focusing on here is really the sort of individual sense of shame, which is really a feeling of shame. It's important to stress that this does involve feelings. It's not just a clearly thought out process. It's that kind of gut reaction kind of feeling that's involved as well. Um, but it's a feeling that um, involves feeling worthless, often powerless in given situations, um, rooted in a, a usually in a, um, a fear of or concern about how one is perceived by other people. Um, it can affect many things. It affects the ability to form proper, healthy attachments with other people. It affects relationships in general and can have many other effects too. It can tie into um, tendencies when it's not addressed over a long term. Um, it, it can also be a predictor for more serious things such as depression, um, despair, um, addiction, various kinds of other kinds of um, issues such as depending on the kind of shaming, and I'll come back to different kinds of shaming in a minute, but other uh, possible manifestations would include things like anorexia and bulimia and so on. Um, And then, of course, also possibly suicide. So as Christians, we're more commonly attuned to talking about sin and maybe the forgiveness of sins. But what about shame? And that is, you hit the nail on the head there. We are much more used as as Christians to talking about sin and the forgiveness of sins. Now, obviously, there there are times when guilt and shame go hand in hand. You know, if a person knows that they have 
of sinned and their conscience is troubling them, they may well feel shame, feel ashamed of what they've done, you know what I mean, and feel shame in that context. Or in terms of other people pointing out that, you know, what you did was not right, the actual just real life consequences of sin, um, you know, can lead to certain kinds of feelings of shame. But what I'm really concerned about here and what I um, want to emphasize is the kind of shame, sense of shame that comes more from being shamed by others in different ways that are not tied to one's specific sins. And obviously, none of us is, is sinless. Only Christ is sinless and we're not him. <laughs> so I'm not saying that, you know, anybody that feels, that there's anybody that feels shame or doesn't, that has no sin. We all do. But in the sense that it's, I'm, I'm focusing on shame that's not the direct result of, of, sin, of particular sins. So um, the person that feels like, um, that, that has been, has somehow been led to feel like they're not, they're not good enough in one way or another. Say, so maybe, for example, um, in terms of performance in, at, at school or in athletics or something like that, you know, they try their best. It's not that they aren't trying, but that's just not the gift that God's given them. And they're not performing as well as some others. And it's like, well, you know, you're a loser or, you know, you're not, not smart enough, not good enough, not fast enough, not whatever. Um, or perhaps their appearance, you know, not attractive enough, not thin enough. And that ties into things like anorexia and so forth as well. Um, or um, can be all kinds of other things that can be rooted in terms of often other people really rooted in other people's problems, but that actually play out on the person that has been shamed as a result of those. So for example, um, you know, the child that grows up feeling like um, somehow because they were there, they, they, just their existence or, you know, if they had health problems, their health problems or something somehow ruined a parent's life. You know what I mean? It's like, we, we don't, we can't, it was not appropriate to forgive somebody for having been born or for having had ill health, you know, which they have no control over <laughs> or for, you know, not having some um, runway model kind of, you know, figure or something like that, or for, or for not being, really athletically disposed or not being really good at, you know, this subject or that subject. And you, you see, what, I mean, there's a whole range of different things that people can be shamed about, but that's just a few examples. And to try and use, you know, forgiveness and absolution in that sort of context really only reinforces the concept that there's something wrong with the person that they, you know, that that thing that actually isn't a sin really is because then they're being forgiven for it or told that they're forgiven for it. <laughs> and so it actually compounds the problem. <laughs> and I think that that's something that sadly is often overlooked in, in, in the church. Um, I mean, obviously it's really important that we focus on Christ bearing our sins, but that's not all that he did. And that's, and sin is not, it's a huge problem, obviously, if, you know, but for, or would be, but for the salvation we have through him, but it's not the only big problem that's out there, and shame is another one. So when you're talking about shame, I began to perceive that you're talking about a wide variety of maybe triggers from, from being events to all the way perhaps being involved in, in psychology. And maybe depending on at what level a person is experiencing the shame, then, then maybe that would uh, guide how you interact. That, that certainly is, a, is an important thing to take into account. And um, 
if you read, if one reads people like um, Brene Brown or Kurt Thompson, for example, you know, that um, talking about this, particularly the psychological aspects of it, that the kind of shame that we're talk, talking about here, it's something that doesn't only involve, say, sort of like the rational thinking, but it, it's a deep-seated thing. It involves the various aspects of the of our neurological being, if you like, including the autonomic ner- nervous system and so on. It kind of elicits fight-or-flight kind of response, which tends to lead people either to, this is gross generalization, but, you know, either to... Um, the, the flight in in sense of separate and and you know not form good attachments with people or or just withdraw or that kind of thing or um potentially also you know fight or flight then to have sort of angry responses and and then other you know kinds of behavioral issues that can arise there's various ways that that people can react and some of the some of the kind of issues that that will arise so for example for somebody who has been a, a victim of abuse or who's suffering with something like anorexia or something like that. You know, I mean, they may very well also need to be referred for um, professional care in the sense of, you know, psychology or uh, um, as well as spiritual care. But at the same time, the church can do a lot to help in addressing these issues. So let's focus on that, what the church can do. What, what does the Bible tell us about shame? Well, we first find shame... <laughs> or rather the absence of shame, way back in Genesis 2, <laughs> when we, um, you know, as, as God created um, Adam and Eve, you know, and the man and, and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And it's interesting that then in Genesis 3, after the fall, I mean, yes, there's the reference to the, the fig leaves for loincloths, but it's not only that sort of like modesty because as they hear the sound of, of God walking in the garden, um, they hid themselves. Um, and when God calls out, you know, where are you? And Adam responds, you know, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. It's not just, oh, you know, it's sort of embarrassing or, you know, I need to be modest or whatever, but, you know, it's actual fear. It's that basically fear, presumably, of it. Of, of that disrupted relationship with God, which of course is what's happened in the fall. Um, and so shame is a di- that kind of sense of shame. Yes, you know, I mean, it comes, it's, it's part of what the serpent brought, as it were, <laughs> instigated entering into the world. It was sin and shame that entered, basically. Um, but when we look at um, what the Bible says of shame, our Lord Jesus not only bore our sin on the cross, as if that wasn't a heavy enough burden, which obviously was a huge burden. Um, But he also bore our shame. And it's interesting to me, if you look at, um, you know, like if you go back to Isaiah, um, it's here in Isaiah, you know, in this, the suffering servant and so on, but the servant songs, you look at Isaiah 50, um, Starting at, at, at um, page six, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I did not hide my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Because what people were doing to our Lord, you know, what he, you know that's that prophetic um, 
text is about, they were, from the human perspective, they were shaming him. As well, I mean, as well as torturing and kill, executing him, you know, but, but it was the whole shaming aspect as well. Um, but it's God that helps. Um, and in his eyes, you know, that sort of, that innocent suffering, if you know what I mean, there is no disgrace. Um, and then again, also in Isaiah 53, um, like starting at verse two, for he grew up before him, like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. And you think of these, these people that go through all of these torturous things to try and look according the way that they think is supposed to be beautiful or whatever. Well, if not being esteemed as beautiful, you know what I mean? <laughs> By the rest of, of mankind was not a problem for Jesus. Why should problem for us you know what I mean right. I mean he's been there he knows what we deal with and then it goes right on he was despised and rejected by men and that's really um and he was he was the sinless one you know but so he was shamed by men in that sense he knows what we've what we go what people who are shamed in that sense go through um and Death by crucifixion was designed not only to be agonizing, but to be shaming as well. That was part of the why it was done, why it was done the way that it was. You know, the person hung there sort of on public display and naked as well. <laughs> um, and um, so it's like, you know, in, in Hebrews uh, 12.2, um, you know, it talks about looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before, set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He bore the shame, but he didn't. it didn't master him. <laughs> um, so he has borne our shame and he knows what we suffer and he doesn't abandon us to it. So if we perceive that someone is uh, dealing with this issue of shame or maybe some of these associated issues that you brought up like uh, fear, guilt, or things like that. Uh, how how should we, as the church, walk alongside them? Really great, great question. It's um, I think one thing. Well, there's a couple of different things we can do. One is I think it would be helpful if the if the church as a whole could talk more often about the fact that that Christ bore our shame as well as our sin, so that it might help to encourage initially people to even think about opening up and, and you know, about the shame that, that they bear when they realize that, yes, this is a separate thing and it's not just something they need to be forgiven for, which confirms that really it was their sin, even when it wasn't, if that makes sense. But also, um, to if, if there are folks in the church who are willing to, some are, you have to build a relationship of, of, of kind of trust with some, well, to work with, to give spiritual care for people in general, but especially for somebody who's dealing with shame issues, because um, trust is that sort of the trust that goes with good, positive kind of constructive relationships and attachments is is lacking <laughs> a lot of times. So, but to be to have empathy, to listen, um, sort of active listening, you know, to not not right away to sort of jump in and and sort of be judgmental or whatever, even if there are things that you think that 
yeah, maybe they didn't handle very well. But as soon as you jump right in with that, then they're going to shut down and not carry on and open up about it. But to make to let them know that they're heard and that they're loved, even through what they're what they're suffering through, that God loves them and that and that we as Christians do as well, and that um, just like. Paul talks about in First Corinthians, you know, it's like the, you know, we're the body, the church is the body of Christ, and there are many members, and one is not less important than another, <laughs> no matter how they make, because they, part of that kind of shame is this view of most, you know, minimal, if any, self-worth, but that actually every part of the body of Christ, you know, is valuable, um, and to not let them kind of develop that sense of being heard and being appreciated for, as the person that they are and that God appreciates them, you know, enough that Christ died for them and took their shame on himself. I think in the church, we tend to use certain stock phrases <laughs> that, I think that, we right. learned, <laughs> that we learned, uh, you know, that we heard and, you know, shame, I don't think is one of them. I don't think right. that's one that we have explored adequately uh, for, for offering encouragement to uh, people in our congregations. Right. We'll come back to our guest, uh, Jovan, in just a moment. But first, I'd like to point our listeners to our website for this radio program. If you go to elmhouston.org, uh, you'll find podcast recordings of our past programs. You'll find links to our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter pages. Also on elmhouston.org, uh, you can ask us questions. Uh, and you can also find ways to support what you're listening to. Uh, your, uh, your gifts to ELM.org are tax-deductible donations. And uh, I'd like to point out that your on-the-air hosts are all volunteers. So your donations go far to help us purchase airtime to keep us on the air. We appreciate you, your listenership, and your support. Now, back to our guest, uh, Jill. Can you point us to some resources or perhaps a way for our listeners to uh, contact you if they have greater interest? I would be very happy to talk with, to correspond further with anybody that, that's interested in doing so. And if folks would like to email me, my email address is it's my last name and first initial, B-O-N-D-G, Bond G, at CSL, first letters of Concordia St. Louis. <laughs> edu uh, bondg at csl.edu and um, then if we could either email or arrange to talk by zoom or whatever works best for you know the, for whoever would like to ask questions there are other um, places that one can look also to get some more background on this kind of thing um, Brene Brown has written quite a bit on on shame and vulnerability and so forth um, and um, Kurt Thompson also has, um, who's a psychiatrist, has written some on on um, a Christian psychiatrist who has written some on actually addressing shame issues, and particularly in terms of how that ties into the the neural networks and so forth, you know, and the structure of the, of the brain and nervous system. Um, but yeah, I'd be more than happy to talk with anybody, um, particularly in terms of how we can try and. Um, become more proactive about addressing these things in the church, I would be very happy to talk with folks. If you would, uh, we've talked about shame, fear, and guilt just a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and we we might have imagined 
what that looks like when things are not going perfectly. Help us to understand what the end goal would be if a person was trying to move from shame. What would they hope for? What's the what's the target? Good question. Ultimately, um, it's a restoration of relationships, and so obviously the first and foremost of those is you know is is restoration of of the relationship with God, which if they feel that lack of self-worth, they may the person may well be struggling with whether you know even God could actually really love them. So that can that can be a common and obviously really major problem. Uh, but also um, there's it ties into a lot of things, but really feeling of peace or more integration of oneself. Um as and both just like as a as a person and especially as a child of God, um, and then also really being able to have better relationships with other people to be able to um, make develop more healthy relationships with other people um, and address it, it, exactly what the goal is is going to depend some on the nature of the the triggers that have set it off and the kinds of manifestations of the shame. So obviously, if somebody is potentially suicidal and addressing that is going to be yeah <laughs> way up there in terms of the priority list or you know if they've got if it's if it's that sort of what's sometimes referred to as body shaming so that then they're for example um you know anorexic or binge eating and purging and that or, you know those kinds of things then obviously addressing that is going to be way up in the list of priorities as well um, or you know, it depends a bit on the ind- somewhat on the individual situation, and that's where right up front that active listening comes in to play so much to get a sense of what it is that they're dealing with and how best to to address it. Um, and say sometimes they they may also need other so person if it's really severe may need you know other professional care as well. But that doesn't mean that the church shouldn't be walking alongside in the process because we should. <laughs> so if uh, if we're looking for some inner peace. Mm-hmm. What, what can you tell me about uh, finding that and where we might find that inner peace? It's always going to be, first and foremost, in our Lord, in Christ, in the fact that he has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And that even in the depths of our despair and sense of lack of self-worth, that he is with us. He's shed his blood for us, every single one of us, no matter how unworthy we may feel. We, we our identity is that of being Christ's of, of being a child of of the of the heavenly Father um, and um, that supersedes any other labels that uh, other people may have put on us or that we may have put on ourselves as being not fill in the blank enough you know not good enough not beautiful enough not whatever enough you know what I mean that um, he makes us enough, and that that's it's um, that we can rest in him. We um, he and that he he does know, you know, like Christ has suffered firsthand. You know the anguish of of of, of shame. He knows um, very well, not only through being God and omnipotent, but through his experience as fully man as well. <laughs> um, what we deal with, and he is with us in it. Uh, but then also in the church. And absolutely, the congreg- congregations should aim to be safe places where people who are dealing with problems like this, 
well, where they they will be safe and they can feel safe, you know, and not just be further shamed or, um, yeah. What a tremendous thing it is that our God uh, sent His only Son Jesus to uh, to make up for our brokenness and to bring us healing. And we're all in process. <laughs> Nobody's got it together yet, but we will. And what a, a great aspect that is that we have uh, what a, a future that awaits us of restoration and relationship with God. We hope that you'll come back and join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.